if you found Acts chapter 19, I'm just going to read today. The Lord spoke to me actually this past week while I was in the gym. And uh, I, I guess I'm going to roll with that today. And obviously before the end of the service, we'll give everybody an opportunity to, to sow into the things of the Lord and to give. And, and uh, we'll try and make sure we give an opportunity for those that would like to receive Jesus this morning. Is there anybody that's this is your first time visiting with us? Raise your hand if this is your first Sunday with us. Just wave at us. Say this is the first time. Bless you. Bless you guys. Welcome to the river. We pray the, the Lord touches you and you, you find a, a home here where you, where you feel like you can blossom and grow because it's our passion, God's people. Amen. Next week is Father's Day. Just a heads up. We are giving away in both services a Glock to a lucky dad that will win. So, fathers, grandfathers, show up next Sunday and you'll be in a drawing to win a Glock. No, we're not giving this away because we're violent people and crazy we're giving away because Jesus said, buy a sword to protect yourself. And so we believe in the Second Amendment here at the church. You know, we believe it's your right to a firearm to protect your family. But you have to go through a background check. You won't get your firearm and run out of here waving it in the parking lot. You got to go through a background check and pick it up at a, at, a, at a gunsmith, as we have always done with past firearm giveaways. And so in both services, fathers will have a chance to win that absolutely free. Come to Cowboy if you want, rodeo style. I'll wear cowboy boots, and it'll be a fun time. We'll have uh, um, uh, donuts and coffee for the guys, and you could win a Glock, all right? Is that good? And if you, don't, if you win the Glock and you don't want guns, you can always find someone here. That would happily be all the ladies raise their hands, actually. Huh? Yeah, or don't get a ticket. My wife's a lot smarter than me. Amen. Well, they could get a ticket and they could sell it for all that. I mean, it's worth money. It's true. But don't sell it to somebody that has a sketchy pass. Some guy in a Hardee's parking lot. <laughs> Anyways, I'm trying to get to the message here, people. We just stop being heckled from the crowd. No. Acts chapter 19. I love Pastor Mark's laugh. Every time Pastor Mark is in a service, I was tuning into the River Tampa and I could hear Pastor Mark's laugh in the entire. I was like, Pastor Mark's there this morning. I can hear him. It's a contagious laugh. Amen. A joyous laugh. Acts 19, verse 13. It says that a group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. And they tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. And seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? And then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them and overpowered them and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. Now, I've been in a few scraps in my life. Before I got saved, I was a redneck, so you know how it is. But never once. <laughs> did I ever see anybody leaving the fight naked? Much less seven versus one. That is a, a definite butt whooping. Amen. Now... It's, few, it's funny to read, obviously, because that is just hilarious. And, and your goal in life is you don't want to be skeeved out in the middle of nowhere. Amen. <laughs> when you read scriptures like that, you should instantly know your goal is not to be one of the sons of Skeva, right. but to be more like Paul. 
So I challenge you today, as I said, the Lord was speaking to me in the gym this, this week as I was lift, working out, and just an unction in my spirit came to me, what are you carrying? What was Paul carrying that made him different than the seven sons of Sceva? It's interesting when you read scripture, there's even a part in the gospels where the Lord said, people will come to me and say, look, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do all of this in your name? But I will say, depart from me because I never knew you. And so it comes down to what's on the inside of you. What is a person carrying? What was Paul carrying that was so transformative that even the enemy was fully aware of his identity, who he was? And what he carried and recognized that Paul had the authority over it. Whereas the seven sons of Sceva, though they followed the same formula, did not possess the same authority. It boils down to what's on the inside of you. And, and really it all comes back for Paul to an encounter on the road to Damascus. Where Paul met the Lord. He was Saul at the time. And the Lord showed up on the road to Damascus and radically changed his life. Scales fell from his eyes. He was supernaturally filled with the Spirit of God. Just three days later, as his sight was returned, God showed him visions. Revelation flowed into him. He is what we call the father of the grace movement many times. He was the one that had the revelation that he wrote in Galatians saying, No man taught me this revelation. I got it from the Lord. And I ran with that because the Lord showed it to me. And Paul, having had an encounter with God, was filled with something from God. And this world needs people filled with something that comes from God. Not people that follow a formula. See, we're not a denomination, and not that I have anything against denominations, because it provides for you counsel and, um, um, what's the word, where they follow up on you? I guess accountability. I was thinking accreditation, but it's not. Accountability. Well, so you have that structure that's good, but at the end of the day where men winds up going wrong with the denominational movement is it gets such a structure-oriented thing that everybody just goes through the structure, goes through the checklist, and God is not a God of checklist. You can't go to God and say, I checked off A through B, now you have to do C for me. God doesn't have to do anything for you at all. And you will never be indebted to mankind. God has never been indebted, nor will he ever be in debt. So, Paul, why did Paul have such a supernatural encounter with God that changed his world? When you read about Paul, he wasn't even for the church. He was against the church. He was, he was killing Christians, calling them, you know, hindrances. He was there at Stephen's stoning, and they laid the clothes at his own feet and his approval of the death of the first martyr in the New Testament. Yet Paul, obviously, in all of his leanings, and all of his passions, and all of his drivings, Scripture boils down to those that see God or those that have a pure heart. And he had a pure heart for God. And in this world, a pure heart is a very hard thing to find. Because from the time you're little, and last week we spoke about this even with the whole movement, the Pride Month, it's not about pride, it's about perversion. It's about getting into a heart of a person and twisting and confusing a person to where there is not purity. There is not a pure driving heart. And so most hearts 
even in America or around us, they're, they're, it's not that we're driven from a pure sense of God and I need you, I want you. We're driven from fears and anxieties. What are people thinking? What's acceptable? What's not acceptable? What, is, what, is, what, what can I do? What can I receive? To where even in church services, as the glory of the Lord falls in the place, people will hold back because in their heart of hearts, they're more concerned with what people think or will say about them than they are about anything from God. Because it's a lot easier to offend a God you can't see than a person standing beside you. And obviously, when you look at it, Scripture, you realize Paul somehow or another passed a test with God to where God showed up and rocked his world. And even though there was other people on the road to Damascus with him that saw the great light and heard the voice, they didn't have the same power or transformation that Paul had. God showed up for Paul. He showed up for one heart. Amen. And I want to challenge you today. What are you carrying? goes down to even, even with, in Scripture with Mary. If you want to turn there, Luke chapter 1, verse 39. This is the story of when Mary was visited by an angel of the Lord. And it says that Luke 1, verse 39, a few days later, after she was visited, she became pregnant by the Bible, says, by the Spirit of God that came upon her. So this is when she visits her cousin, Elizabeth, and she goes, a few days later, verse 39, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and she greeted Elizabeth. And at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? For when I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. What was she carrying? You know what I'm saying? What was in Mary? It was obviously we know Jesus, the son of the living God. But what was she carrying? She was carrying the presence of the Lord. So that when she entered into the house of Elizabeth, the presence that Mary carried literally leapt on Elizabeth and she began to prophesy from that. I mean, it overtook her. It wasn't like, oh, you're pregnant, tell me about it. What happened to you? Mary didn't have to explain anything. Because the anointing and the presence of the Lord that Mary carried, it, it revealed it all the moment she showed up. The church is meant to carry something from God, amen, that comes from an encounter with the Holy Spirit. You can't get it from following a checkbook. You can't go down A through C to get it. You've got to just work on your heart, press past all the junk in your heart. What will people think? What's going on? This person said that. This person did me wrong. I'm a victim. Nobody understands me. Nobody's going to get me. Everybody has these things in their heart. And you got to get to the point where you're like, I'm sick of that. I'm emptying my heart out. I'm not a victim. I'm what you say I'm going to be, God. I don't care what people think. I'm not afraid of their faces anymore. They're not even out to help me. They're not out to get anything for me. I want you and you only. And it's like when you get to this place where you're in a crowded room, but even though there's 100 people, 200, 300, whatever's in the place, the voice on the inside of you is louder than the voices on the outside of you. 
It's this hunger that's, just, that's a holy hunger that just begins to take a person where you're just like, God, I need you. I want you. I want to know you. If anybody's going to know you, I want to know you. I don't want to hear about you through someone else. I don't want to read what you did two generations ago. I want to tap into something right now. Hear you and I, God, do what you want to do in me and get on the inside of my heart. Move what you need to move and get what you need out, God. Pull the junk out. Get rid of the pride, Lord. Humble me. Do whatever you got to do. Prune me. Trim me. Clip me. Brush me. Cleanse me, dip me, baptize me, wash me. It's like when Peter came to the Lord and he's like, he's washing Peter's feet, you know, and he's washing his feet. And Peter's like, you know, Lord, let me do it. He's like, if I don't do this, you can't enter into the kingdom of the Lord. So then Peter just turns it awkward and says, Lord, don't stop at the feet. Bathe all of me. And then Jesus is like, whoa, boundaries, bro. Bubble space, Peter. Bubble space. No, that passion erupted from P Peter. If you if you got to wash, if if I need this, then don't stop at my feet. Go all the way, and it's the same thing today. The prophet that talked of the river, and some go ankle deep, some go knee deep, some go chest deep, but some people, some radical ones, don't even test the temperature of the water. They just dive headlong in. They don't even know how deep it is, but they trust it's deep enough because how deep, how wide is the love of God? I want all. I want to be immersed in it, God. I want all of you. What are you carrying? What's in you? What, what's the sum total of what's been even depositing in you? What do you allow to deposit into you? So that's the question. What's in you is what you allow deposited into you. Now we start opening the door. What are we hanging around? What are we spending our time on? What are we doing with, with our free time? Who are these people that are speaking into our life? And I'll tell you, I've seen a lot of good Christians get knocked off the path of righteousness because they let too many voices into their life. You got 18,000 people speaking into your life from YouTube every day, and you don't even know it, but they're 38 years old living in their parents' basement. They've never done anything. They've never held down a job. They don't have any character, and they're not carrying anything from God. And you could call them the seven sons of Sceva. Right. That's who they are. If it ever came down to a showdown on the mountain between the demonic and the righteous, the demonic would beat them up, and you would see their nakedness as they fled. But a person that stops worrying about what the world's going to think and what the world's going to do, and just gets locked in. God, this word is truth. This is truth. And even if I'm hated for standing for this word, let them hate me, but I'm standing on this word. Come on, somebody. In the beginning, there was God. And God made male and God made female, and that's all he made. And I stand on that. And if it means people hate me, it doesn't mean that I hate means that I just know I'm not here to please people. I'm here to live for God. And I can try and please a lot of people. And the more people you try and please, it's almost like you give a part of your soul away every time. And you give a part to this person. And you give a part to this person. And you give a part to that person. And so many people have given away parts of themselves so much that there's nothing left. 
You don't know who you are. You don't know your identity. You don't know what's available. And that's why you always need someone propping you up and someone's got to speak to you and someone's got to encourage you all the time because you're empty. There's nothing left. It's time to come to the Lord and say, you know what? I can't just live my life on empty all the time. I need something from you. I want something from you. I used to read scripture and I would cry. I'd go through it and I'd read of Paul and I would cry and I'd say, God, what did Paul have? Because what do I need to get for you to look at me like you looked at Paul? I look at Peter and I'd see Peter. Peter always encouraging because Peter screwed up so many times. You're like, man, maybe there's hope after all. Peter even was a person that the Lord had to repeat things to often. Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Why do you keep asking? It encourages me because I'm like, Lord, if you speak and I miss it, there's scriptural proof. You'll give me two more shots at it. And hopefully by the third time, I start to get it. Wait, Lord, that is you. What are you carrying? An encounter with God does a lot. If you read Scripture... When a person encounters God, oftentimes it's a true sign of an encounter. People are broken and they start weeping. So there's a weeping. It's not a sad weep. It's not a depressed weep. It's this tear that comes from almost for the first time being seen. I'm being seen. All of me is being seen and all of me is being welcomed in. He's grabbing a hold of me, and it's just this weeping. You go to revival services, people cry. It's not because they're sad. People come to the altar, they're not crying because they're sad in an altar call. They're crying because for the first time ever, they're actually starting to feel the completeness. They're starting to feel someone knows me, someone someone cares me. They begin the revelation, he's watched over me. That's that weeping. People come in the presence of the Lord, and they begin to cry. There's so many people. I remember years ago as, as when I was preaching, believe it or not. Well, I'll skip that. I was preaching years ago. And one of the elders of the church came after the service to the back room. And, and he, was, he was a good guy. I mean, he was, he was the elder of the church. Seemed like a solid guy. Had, you know, respect in the community. And he said to me, you know, you remind me of me when I was young. I was excited about the things of the Lord, too, and I had that zeal. But he said, you will mature, and you'll get a little bit calmer, and you'll be, you know, you'll, you'll lose a lot of that, but ultimately you just stand on the word of the Lord. And, you know, I didn't say anything. He, he was, I was in my, I was like 29, 30 years old at the time. He's probably 60-something, so I was raised better than to, to, than to combat or, or speak against my elders. But in my heart of hearts, I was like, I bind that. If I live to be 88, may I be like the most radical 88-year-old that ever lived. May I be like, Jesus, everywhere I go. I want to be like, what's that Dick Van Dyke one where he got like, he was like dancing and stuff as an old man. That's what I see myself in the glory of the Lord. Amen. May I still be jumping up and down with the worship team when I'm 88. Even if I have to wear Depends. 
<laughs> because in him is really the only place that you can 100% be you. And you can just be raw and you can just be you and you can have breakdowns and you can have victorious moments. You do it around too many people and they're like, this dude's a lunatic. This guy's this. He's unstable. He's unhinged. We're all unstable. We're all unhinged at times until you enter into the presence of the Lord. And then that's the place. It's like there's this washing. There's this coolness. I mean, that's why people cry. It's not I'm not crying because things are bad. I'm crying because things have never been this good. Like I'm like, oh, my God, I'm home. That's what the presence of the Lord is. I'm home. I've entered home. This is what I was made. You were made to be in the presence of the Lord. And so if you never encounter that, that's where people are like, their idea of God is so skewed that God is just someone they can figure out with a checklist and He only does what they think He will do. God is much bigger than the man, man's brain. So what are you carrying? Have you had an encounter with God? When you have an encounter with God, I mean, people fall out. Still to this day, you wonder, people are like, why do people fall down? It's like a Googled thing. People Google, why do people fall down in church? Why do people lay hands on people in church? These things are found all throughout Scripture, but people read it and they're blinded to it and they don't see it. Literally, what happened when Jesus said, I am he, when they came to arrest him? Scripture says all of them just fell over as dead men. I mean, you want to talk about a wave of the glory of the Lord? When you're literally coming to arrest the person... And he's like, I am he. And you're just like, bam, and you hit the ground. You don't even know what you're doing there. Who knows how long they were out? Wouldn't that be awesome? I guarantee you, you'll get to heaven. And some of those soldiers made it to heaven because they didn't forget that moment. They were like, when he said, I am he, he meant he was he. When the angel of the Lord showed up, the, 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 the soldiers around the tomb fell as dead men at their feet. The Old Testament, when the glory of the Lord would fall, the, the Bible says that this priest could not stand to minister. Whether that means they're falling out or they're just unable to even string together coherent words, whatever it is, there was such a real encounter that physically they were not able to function. Does that make sense? And that's how it is. Think about it. In the presence of the Lord. We even use this terminology for love that when you see a woman or, or a man, you're like, man, that's my gal. When I first saw her, she made me weak in the knees. Right? <laughs> we say it because it's like, wow. It was so, their presence was so life-changing that you felt like you might faint. Well, how could we ever think that we would have more of an encounter with a person physically on earth than the king of glory himself? You know what I'm saying? That when God shows up, your hair stands up at attention. You know what I'm saying? Your arm is like, yes, sir. And you're like, he's here. And you get weak. You can't, your physical body can't contain it. That's why you get a glorified body. You can't go to heaven with this flesh. This flesh won't make it. You'll be crawling on your face on gold bricks. Asking people, what's it look like up there? All I see is the gold bricks. And they're so beautiful. A thousand years, you're still groveling on gold bricks. Never even look up because your body can't contain it. 
What are you carrying? I'm challenging you or maybe just encouraging or provoking you to live a life pursuing encounters with God. You can have great church services. You can have great worship sets. You can dance around like a monkey. You can do all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, are you encountering God or are you just whipping yourself into an emotional, hardworking standpoint? Or is there that moment when it gets real and it's you and God and everybody else disappears? Because when you meet God, it doesn't matter. If there was 10,000 people in the room, you're suddenly just you and the Lord. And you're like, God. And then those moments that just shape you and change you for the rest of your life. There's moments I've lived that just define my walk with God to where I can't explain it. I can't put words to it. I don't know how to talk about it. There was a time when I was in my 20s, early 20s, and we were just in a church service and began to worship the Lord singing one of those old hymnals. And it was one lady on a set of keys singing an old hymnal. And I'm pressing in and worship. And I can't describe it any other way than suddenly my ears open. And I don't hear a woman on keys singing a hymnal anymore. I hear a host of angels singing. I hear an orchestra so vast. I mean, I, I, I was sitting in the, standing in the service and my mind was just like, what? where are these instruments coming from? And it was such a holiness that came with it. I was scared to open my eyes. I'm standing there. I know physically where I'm at. I know there's one lady on the keys. I know she's singing. She can sing good. But I'm not hearing that and I'm not experiencing that. But there was with it this reverential fear where I was too scared to open my eyes. People talk about the fear of the Lord and they don't even understand it. When God shows up, there's this reverence of like you're welcomed in, but you're also like, I don't want to do one thing out of step that would cost this to stop right now. And I'm in my 20s and I just remember as I heard it was the angels worshiping and just the, the instruments of heaven playing that I, and I was singing and at the top of my lungs just, you know, I felt like I could sing, you know what I'm saying? And anybody that goes to the church knows how much that means to me. Like I felt I was carrying the tune and I was just in it and I was like, I could sing, I could sing and I'm worshiping the Lord and I just remember laying on my face. And I'm in my early 20s and I'm laying on my face and I'm pleading with God. Take me now. Take me. I'm 26, 25. I got my whole life ahead of me. I haven't even, haven't even lived long enough to make a decent mistake yet. You know what I'm saying? You don't start making mistakes till you have kids. Then you realize what a mistake is. No, I'm just joking. Not that they are. As you parent them, you realize. My daughter just looked at me like, we'll have words after the service. I know a guy. You're not a mistake. Our oldest daughter, I would sit with regularly and I'd say, Taylor, you do realize we're winging it with you. We have no idea what we're doing as parents. So she's still alive and we count that as a victory. Amen. She's about to turn 21 and loves the Lord. So I'm like, man, we know what we're doing now. Now I'm getting confident. But I'm 25, 26. I'm not suicidal. You know what I'm saying? It's not like Caleb's so depressed. He's like, God, just take me. I can't. I was happy. I've always been a pretty happy person. Except for sometimes, you know, you get grumpy, whatever. But 
Like nobody's happy all the time. If you were happy all the time, we put you in special places. <laughs> really nice cushy rooms with jackets that tie your arms behind your back. <laughs> oh, you're the happy guy. Okay. But I was a happy person. I'm not depressed. So when I'm saying, God, take me, it's not from a place of, I can't go on. There's nothing worth living for. Life is too hard. Actual fact, I loved life. I was excited about life. I was excited about where I was and great things were happening. But in his presence, the best of this world cannot even come close to a moment in his presence. And that's where you realize, like, I don't want anything else. You can take all the money. You can take all the fame. You can you take what I just want him. I want to be in his presence. And that's where you're like, God. And then you're like pleading, God, if there's anything in me that causes this to not be the way I live, if there's any part of me that's hidden, if there's anything, God, I'm asking you, I'm giving you every, I'm pleading with you, get in me, get in me and move it out. Burn out anything that, that you don't like. Burn out any part of me that's unpleasing to you. Fix me. Rearrange me. I am the clay. You are the potter. Mold me and make me. God, I found what I was looking for, and it is you, and I'm not going to look for anything else. You are the pearl of great price. Let me go and sell everything I could ever earn because I found the one thing that life is all about. It is the presence of the Almighty. And that, that, those encounters, that's why. Why did God pick Mary? Why did God pick Paul? Why did he find Peter? Because it was people whose hearts would be set ablaze and burn for him all the days of their life. And this is the part that's so hard because that's your responsibility. Are you with me? It's your responsibility. What are you carrying? What are you carrying? It's your responsibility. What heart do you have? People can be raised in the exact same type of situation. Hard life, abuse, spoken ill of, beaten, all sorts of junk, and they can wind up in two different roads of life. One can choose to mimic what was always done to them, and another person can say, I'm going to look for something different. At the end of the day, God always holds you accountable. Back to what are you carrying? When the Lord spoke to me, he reminded me of the story in Genesis, chapter 22, I believe. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. Genesis 24, actually. This is a powerful scripture where Abraham is speaking to his servant to go and find his son, Isaac, a wife. And so he sends him out on a mission. I want you to go back to where we come from, and I want you to find a wife for my son. In Genesis chapter 24, verse 6, I don't know if I'll read it all, but ultimately, Abram says, Be careful to never take my son there, for the Lord of heaven, who took me from my father's house in my native land, solemnly promised to give this land to my descendants. He will send his angel ahead of you, speaking to his servant, and he will see to it that you find a wife there for my son. If she is unwilling to come back with you, you are free from this oath of mine. But under no circumstances are you to take my son there. So the servant took an oath by putting his hand under the thigh of his master, Abraham. He swore to follow Abraham's instructions, and he loaded ten of Abraham's camels with all kinds of expensive gifts from his master. And he traveled to the distant Aram Naharam. 
And there he went to the town where Abraham's brother Nahor had settled. And he made the camels kneel beside a well just outside the town. It was evening. And the women were coming out to draw water. O Lord God of my master Abraham, he prayed, please give me success today and show unfailing love to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing here beside this spring and the young women of the town are coming out to draw water. This is my request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. If she says, yes, I have a drink, yes, have a drink, and I will water your camels too, let her be the one you have selected as Isaac's wife. This is how I will know that you have shown unfailing love to my master. And before he had finished praying, he saw a young woman named Rebecca coming out with her water jug on her shoulders. She was the daughter of of Bethluel, who was the son of Abraham's brother Nahor and his wife Milcah. Rebekah was, was very beautiful and old enough to be married, but she was still a virgin. She went down to the spring. She filled up her jug. She came up again, and running over to her, the servant said, Please give me a little drink of water from your jug. Yes, my lord, she answered, Have a drink. She quickly lowered her jug from her shoulder and gave him a drink. And when she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they had had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jug into the watering trough and ran back to the well to draw water for all his camels. The servant watched her in silence, wondering whether or not the Lord had given him success in his mission. Then at last, when the camels had finished drinking, he took out a gold ring for her nose and two large gold bracelets for her wrist. What are you carrying? You see, in life, everybody in here, you have free will. You're governing your life, you're governing your actions, you're governing what you're doing. And this woman obviously didn't know what this guy had prayed and didn't know his mission and didn't know what he had. But when the rubber met the road, she was willing to put in the work necessary. And I remember hearing this when I was in Bible school. It was the last time I actually ever heard anybody preach along these lines. And they were talking about the fact that here's a woman that had to go down. You know, Scripture says she went down the steps to the spring and had to carry up the water to feed the servant and herself. And when she said she would feed 10 camels, I'll never forget this. Do you know that the average camel drinks 20 gallons of water when they drink? Do you know that? 20 gallons of water. When I heard that, I was like, my God, and I Googled it, and it was true. Always Google because I'm always skeptical. 20 gallons, 10, 10 camels, that's 200 gallons. I mean, maybe she had a five-gallon jug or something, but five gallons, and anybody in here that's ever carried a five-gallon bucket of water knows it's not really particularly light. So maybe Rebecca looked like that Rosie the Riveter. She's toting five gallons up at a time. Even if she towed it five gallons a time, what is that, 40 trips? 40 trips up and down to water 10 camels of a stranger you've never met before. But unbeknownst to her, destiny was woven into this silly, mundane hardship of work and life. And you got to put in the work. What are you carrying? 
You have an encounter with the Lord. What do you do with that encounter? You're pursuing God. You're asking God. See, many people come. A lot of people will come to God for a season of their life saying basically the same thing. Lord, touch me. Lord, use me. Lord, I need a touch from God. Maybe you just got out of a divorce. Maybe you just lost your job. It's a heartache. 2020, we had people flock to the church, bending on their knees, worshiping the Lord. Then things open back up and they drift away. Why? Because it's good. It's sweet. It's all right. I don't really need the Lord right now. If your relationship with the Lord is so shallow that you're only on fire and pursuing God when you're actually trying to get something from Him, then you are treating God like He's your sugar daddy and you're nothing but a gold digger. And that's the problem. So then we're like, why does revival tarry in America? Why is America going down the drains? Because the church has turned into nothing but a bunch of people saying, God, give me, give me, give me. And if God gave them, what do you do with it? If God gives you a drop, I remember in Bible school, God, if you give me a drop of the anointing. And the only reason I said I dropped because I felt looking at everybody else, they're way more talented, they're way more skilled. Everybody recognizes they're going to do something from God. And then there's me in the corner sweeping the floor. Cleaning the toilet. So I was like, God, I probably can't ask much. That's what I felt. I can't ask much. I know that I'm obviously not the person that everybody's looking at. And I don't possess what they possess. But God, I do possess one thing. And that is a heart that loves you. You pulled me out of hell, man. You broke off addictions. And the only talent I feel that I have, I was scared scared to publicly speak. You couldn't have given me a microphone. Are you kidding me? I would do it still, and I would just tap into the anointing. But afterwards, I'd want to go throw up in the back room. How was it? I don't know. Then you grab a microphone, and then you preach. So I didn't think, I'm not going to preach. I obviously can't sing. I can't play any instruments. I'm not known for my wisdom, so to speak, at the time. So I'm like, all I can bring to you, God, is two hands raised on a dairy farm that know how to work. So, God, I'm going to show up at everything they need somebody to show up at. And I tell you, everything the church ever asks. We need, we need three guys here at 3 a.m. to go to Gainesville and pick up a tent. I was there, 3 a.m., sleep deprived. All I can bring you, God, is two hands willing to put in the work. And I'm going to put in the work, God. Every time, and I remember telling the Lord, every time you turn, God, you're going to find me there willing to put in the work. And even if seven people come before me, you're going to find that I will outlast them all. I made a covenant with God. I was like, I will show up. And I tell people this. That's how I wound up in ministry. It wasn't that someone said, you're going to be a pastor. It was because God eventually just threw up his hands and said, they're showing up all the time. We might as well give them something to do. (laughs) He's going to, at least he's faithful. He's there. That's more than many people in America. Many people are like, give me the platform, but you can't even show up every week. And I'm not trying to pick, I'm not trying to make enemies. I love you all. With the love of the Lord. But I'm just saying, for me, that was my heart posture. I'm just going to be there, God. I'm going to be there in the night meetings. I'm going to be there for the, I remember Super Bowl. And they were like, at our church, they're like, you know, football's full of people with spandex pants on and cushioned. They're not men. If you watch the Super Bowl, you're going to hell. And I was raised redneck, so Super Bowl was like, I like the Super Bowl. 
But man, they were like, we're going to have service just to test people's heart. I didn't watch the Super Bowl. All the Bible school. I'm going to be in the church. If you want to test my heart, I'm going to pass that test. I don't care about any pigskin or any spandex people. <laughs> and I wouldn't even look on my phone. Just focus on the anointing. Then leave and look on your phone. But what are you carrying? The reason why Rebecca tapped into this was because she was willing to put in the work. The reason why ultimately God chooses people is a combination. It's a purity of heart and a willingness to show up. What did he say in the Old Testament? He said it is to the willing and the obedient that will eat the good of the land. It's a two-part thing that God's looking at you. Will you keep a pure heart? Is he number one in your life? And if so, are you going to pursue him? Are you going to go after that encounter? Are you going to let the Lord get into your life and change you and rearrange you and make you brand new? Are you going to go into those moments of the spiritual realm where, where the flesh melts away and you just get caught up in the spiritual realm? That's the place where God is always at. You can access the throne of God. You can tap into the holy of holies. You can get caught up into the realm of his spirit. But ultimately, you have to press in to do that. And that's the question. Will you do it? And then when you do it, God, if you give me a drop of the anointing, I'll turn it into an ocean. Because I'll never stop giving away what you give to me, God. Will you do something for the Lord? And I'm not saying everybody in here go into the ministry. It's the last thing I'm saying. We don't need everybody in the full-time ministry. Right. We need you just, whatever God does in here, please press in in this church for something. Press in. I mean, you should have moments where you get caught up in the presence of the Lord, where service ends and two hours later you're getting off the carpet. That's normal. Come on, somebody. That's normal. That's normal in the church. It should happen in your life. If you can't remember a time that you couldn't drive home from church because you were so overcome from God, then you need to press in more. Come on, somebody. you got to say, you know what? I'm not going to just hear about it. I'm going to press in to get it. Amen? I want something so life-altering, so transforming that I can't deny it that I feel imprinted from God, stamped by the Holy One on the inside, where even if I want to backslide, I just think of that encounter, and I'm like, God, I can't. I'm too afraid. I know how good you are. I know how great you are. I've been in your presence where nobody else was around, just you and I. And that marks you for life. God wants to mark you. Amen? What are you carrying? God wants to mark you with something that comes from heaven. A touch from God that is undeniable, where your voice is not like the voice it was before. That a person with a touch from God can stand up, and even if they're not in full-time ministry, their testimony is like an like a arrow in the hands of God shot to the hearts of people to break open hearts in the room. It's like a voice that carries with it the weight of God. That You can see people that sing songs, but you can see people that, that press in and bring the glory of God. It's talking about that place, that place where you carry something that Paul carried, that Mary carried, but the seven sons of Sceva never got. They didn't have it because they didn't have the heart. They didn't have the right stuff. It's like the three uh, children that we read last year, the three Israel children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego last week. What was in them to where God himself was going to go into that fire with them? 
I don't know about you, but I want to be the person that if I'm thrown in a fiery pit, God goes in that pit with me. What did Daniel carry that when he went into the lion's den, those lions just cuddled up around him to keep him warm and gave him a pillow? Come on. I'm like, Lord, I want that. I don't know about you. And maybe I'm talking to two people in this entire room, but it's worth it. Because if two people get what I'm saying and you get something from God, you'll turn your world upside down. And that's what it all comes down to. It's not about fluff in the church. It's not about fluff. It's never been about fluff. Nor is it where God was like, let me, let me create a structure where they waste one day of a week coming to some church service where they go through three songs, one offering, one message, and they all leave just as dead as they came into the place. That's going to be great because I want to see what happens. No, God's like, come. Come into my presence. Come into this place. If you're weary, if you're tired, watch what I'll do. I'll lift that weight off of you. I'll break those shackles. I'll take scales off your eyes. I'll put a fire in your spirit that man can't put out. I'll put a boldness in your belly where you find yourself as bold as a lion telling the devil to get the hell out of Claremont and never come back again. I'm going to put a fire on the inside of you where even as an 80-year-old grandmother, you can pray with such authority that rooms begin to shake. God wants to put something in you. Man, and I don't know about you, but I knew when I got saved, I, I just made a commitment. God, I don't want a little bit. And maybe I'm supposed to be happy with a little bit, but I find myself every time you move and every touch I have and every revival service I've ever been in, the cry of my heart is still, God, do more in my generation and do more in me, God, and put something greater on the inside of me. I only want you... Call me crazy, call me locked in, call me a radical, call me whatever you want to call me, but I'll tell you this, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, and I'm following after him. And just as he said, I only do what my father tells me to do, that's the cry of my heart. God, tell me what you want me to do. And if I'm doing something you don't want me to do, you can implode the thing, you can take the thing. I'm not holding on to anything you don't want me to have. Take it, remove it, burn it, shake it, make it, whatever you want to do. But God, I want the real. I want the real. And the Lord began to move in my heart to go into the full-time ministry. I would sit in, I would sit in at, the, at our house and I was making sermons and I was just going to work every day. And I began to cry out to God. And my men cry was not God teach me how to preach. I didn't know how to preach. Would have been, if you would have been in my first service, it would have been hilarious. I did five sermons. I worked them all out for the whole week. Well, I got up, and I didn't know how to end a service. So I just went through all five sermons the first time. And I read them like stories. I just read, this, read my sermons. And then I went through all five, and I looked up, and people were just blinking at me like, what now? And I was like, Jesus, help me. I didn't know how to end a service. I didn't know how to start a service. I never asked God to teach me how to preach. The only thing I wrestled with God in my private closet, prayer closet was, God, if I'm going to go, you had better come with me. If I stand in front of the people and you're not with me and I have nothing to give them, but if I stand there and you stand with me, then God, I have everything I need to change people's lives. You take church. How in the world does it make sense to conduct a church service like this and not 
give place to the Holy Spirit. When some of you have been saved 45 years, some of you are not even saved. No, that's church. It's full of healthy people, sick people, people that are living righteous on fire for God, and people that are looking or doing things they shouldn't be looking and doing. And you got one message to change everybody's world? It's an absolute impossibility without the Holy Ghost. You'll never, ever, ever be able to do anything. And that's why if you really look at churches built not on the presence of the Lord, they'll grow great numbers, but at the end of the day, they do not transform lives. Because I'm here to tell you, it is not, it's, it, there is no thing on this earth that changes lives like the presence of the Lord. And you want the presence of the Lord. Because when people try and change you, they come and they belittle you and they beat you down and they point out your, your faults. Come on. But when God changes you, He speaks into you identity, power, and authority that rises up the transformation on the inside to where you go from just being this, I am a lion, I am an overcomer, I will be transformed by the power of the anointing of God. Changes you. It's what it's about. What are you carrying? What is in you? What flows from you? When you pray, does anything happen? Do you even think anything happens? When you read the Bible, is there like fire rolling into your spirit as you come across things? Does revelation explode on the inside of you? Does passion overtake you? Do you find yourself driving down the road and you're just prophesying and you're just crying and you're just having revival all by yourself and you're just forget about even where you're going and you wind up wrong neighborhood, wrong restaurant, showing up to meet friends, wiping snot off your nose like, man, I just, I mean, yeah, but yeah. just singing at the top of your lungs. That's how you're supposed to live. Are you with me? That's how a Christian is meant to live. Where it's just a river that gushes out. That comes from the inside of you and changes you and changes things around you. It's the river of life. It's a river of joy. It's a river of freedom. It's a river of grace. It's a river of power and authority. Paul had it. Mary had it. Peter had it. Barnabas had it. Stephen had it. All throughout Scripture, you read people that had it. David had it. He had the goods. Do you have the goods? Do you have what you need on the inside? And if you don't have what you need on the inside, then I don't know about you, but I would make that my priority. Oh, I'm going to get it. I am not. No, I am not going to live my life trying to get this any longer or that any longer. I'm locked in on the one thing that I want to get. I want the presence of the Lord. Call me Jacob, God, because I'm coming to wrestle. And we're going to wrestle all night long. And you can make me limp and walk with swagger. But I'll tell you this. I'm not letting go until you bless me. I'm not letting go until I get something from you. I'm not letting go until there's a mantle placed on me or a river exploding in me or an oil drop on my head. I'm not letting go till my cup's overflowing. I'm not letting go till there's an invitation. I'm not letting go until there's a call, a call that shakes me to my core. I'm not letting go till destiny explodes on the inside of me. I'm not letting go. Whew. And if you get that way, 
Ephesians 3.19 says, You may experience the love of Christ, and though it's too great to understand fully, you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. What are you carrying? The fullness of God? The understanding of God? The knowledge of God? If I can get someone on the keys behind me right now. And Father, I thank you for your presence in this place today. I thank you, Lord, that you're real. That you're a God of encounter. That it's your delight to touch your people. To feel your people. To transform your people. That you're a God of fire. Your word declares, you're a God that answers with fire. You set people ablaze for you. And that fire not only transforms us with holiness and reverence, but it also burns up the junk of this world. It burns up the fear of men, burns up thoughts, depression, anxiety, hardships that the fire of the Holy Ghost on the inside of you just begins to consume those things that would nag at you for 10, 20, 30 years. God can consume and get rid of there's no one that transforms like our father he is indeed the potter and you are the clay and all it takes is that coming to the lord and say lord here i am maybe you're young 12 years old 13 years old you got your whole life ahead of you you got dreams you want to be a vet you want to be a doctor you want to be this but there's something in your heart where you know yeah i have dreams i want this i want that but you know deep in your core, deep, the Bible says, the deep part of man, deep, cries out to deep. There's a part of every person that is so deep you don't let anybody in there. You don't let your best friend, you don't let your spouse, you don't let your parents in. It's the depth of you. It's where everything about you is exposed and fully accessible. That's the deep part. That the prophet of God said that deep cries out to the deep. Let him do a deep work in you. That's why people cry. That's why people laugh. That's why basically their emotions go all over because there's something deeper going on on the inside of them. That most of the time in the world, it's always shallower. It's never there. It doesn't hit there. Only God can hit that deep part of you. That deep part is where you cry out. That deep part is where intercession comes from. That deep part is where prophecy comes from. That deep part is where the river of God comes from. There's a depth in you where nothing in this world can get to that deep place. Only God can get there. Ecclesiastes tells us basically, there is a void in every man's heart that only God can feel. You will never find a substitute. You can never be successful enough. You can never have enough wealth. You can never have enough followers or fame or fortune or success to ever fill that void. Only God fills it. You were made to be in the presence of God. You were made for that. Handcrafted before the foundation of time. Specifically designed for a purpose from God and only God can reveal and give you that purpose, that destiny, that calling, that anointing, that purity, that river. And though I feel like I'm butchering, even trying to describe it to you, I pray that in the inside there's a hunger erupting within you. God, I want to carry something from you. I want to carry something from you. Don't pass me by. Don't 
let your eyes move on. But look at me, God. Look at me. Search my heart. Weigh it. Work on it. Fill me. Use me. Man, the presence of the Lord is in this place right now. The Lord says, I'm not finished with my bride yet. I've not finished with what I'm doing. I'm working. I'm rearranging and I'm pouring out. And I'm finding more and more, more and more of my bride. I'm setting their hearts ablaze. I'm putting my spirit within them. I'm giving them a new name. And when I give them that name, everything I speak over them is released. I thank you, Holy Spirit. I thank you, Holy Spirit. The fire of the Holy Ghost fall, refreshing upon Pastor Leilani. The half has never yet been seen. Jesus. You not even begin to see it. There's so much. So much. You've wrestled this out of me, says the Lord. Time gone by. I have not forgot it. I have not forgot it. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming, says the Lord. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Holy Spirit, rain down. Rain down in this place. Touch your people today. Touch your people. I pray that today would be a day of transformation. Today would be a day of new beginnings. Guilt be broken off of God's people. Your past is your past. But as you give Him your, your life and all there is, the past is past and the future is secure. What you once did, what you once were, is not who you will be, says the Lord. I will take out the stony heart, I will put in a heart of flesh. It's a soft heart, it's a teachable heart. It's a moldable heart. Keep coming. It's a lifelong pursuit of God. A hundred years on earth. And every day pursuing His presence would not even begin to scratch the surface of what's available. Jesus. Holy Spirit, 